0: Welcome to the Tomball Bible Church Podcast. We exist to glorify Jesus Christ by making mature disciples to reach the nations. To find out more, visit us online at tomballbible.church. Few men are shaping my life like Greg Hatterberg. You may not know that name, but for me, over the last almost 20 years, well over 20 years. He has been a voice of influence and perspective, mostly by example. Greg serves as the director of alumni for Dallas Theological Seminary, and for four and a half years, he was my boss in the admissions office at DTS. Greg has shown me a life that does not lose heart. This man faithfully has endured whatever season of life uh, has been allowed to happen for him. The 1980s, uh, he married his bride, Lisa, and not too long into their marriage came a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. You may be familiar with those who live or have uh, struggled through the challenge of MS. And he was there by her side through the duration of all of it. He was there at the beginning when the doctor said to him, if you're going to leave, sir, now is the time to leave her. Shocked and appalled, he questioned the physician how he could even say such a thing. And, he, and the physician said, I'm, I don't mean to insult. It's just most people leave. Instead, he stood by her side. The Lord entrusted to them four incredible children. And they began walking life together. In recent years, she went to be home with the Lord, and he has faithfully endured. And from what I can tell, he didn't lose heart. Now, Greg is known for kind of pithy sayings that I think get forged in you when you grow up on a farm. How do you know farm life? Some of you know farming life? Well, he told me how his dad taught him and his grandfather taught him how to plow a straight furrow. When he told me this, I I never forgot it. Here's what they told him. They said it all begins on setting yourself and your tractor straight. And a way to do that is you don't look at the post at the end of your field but you find an object that's greater than that in the next field so so you pick a telephone pole or a, a large tree something that was of a greater size than what was at the end of your field then you start your engine and then you move forward and then you hold loosely to the steering wheel because if you grip it tight and you, and you go with the earth, it will throw your plow off course. So you hold it loosely, making minor adjustments. And then you never, ever look back. Because the moment you look back at the plow, your hands follow your head. Are you connecting the dots to the spiritual life? I mean, it's kind of a. If you're not, the greater object in the field ahead is not you, it's Jesus and all that he has accomplished for us and holds secure for us. And it's not at the end of this field, it's at the one that's to come. So start your engines. And don't look back. I could just say amen and we could all go home. (laughs) But that's the kind of of stuff that flows out of this man. Now, if Greg were here, and who knows, maybe someday uh, you'll get to meet him in person. Greg, if you love me, you'll come. (laughs) He's not impressed with himself. He's not impressed with the the lessons that he's learned. He's just a man who loves Jesus with everything that he's got. Who would say the best part about him was his bride, his children, and their children. That's the kind of man I want to influence my own life and is. He has not lost heart. We should be this kind of people. It should be a defining characteristic of the people of God that we do not lose heart. God has made some incredible promises to us, which brings us to the text, because we need godly promises that we can cling to and hang on to that can give us a sense of renewal because every day there's the temptation to lose heart life is too challenging it's too difficult the pressures mount at such a rate that in the midst of it all man we got to have something to hang on to so we don't lose it we lose our our heart So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 13 to 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. I'll give you a chance to get there. We're going to read through the text, and then we're going to walk through it. And again, I want to be sharing with you these promises that are available to us every day. These are everyday promises. Not in the sense that they're regular or common, but they are literally ours on every day of our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18. Here's the passage. It says, "Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke; we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake" so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. May God bless his word and our understanding of it together this morning. If we start in the text, we're going to see, as Brett shared, that there's a background in the mind and the heart of the Apostle Paul. Brett read Psalm 116, which is the background passage that's in in Paul's mind. As the Spirit is inspiring him to write, he has a lyric in mind. Remember, the Psalms became like a songbook for the people of God. First for the Jews, and then adapted into the Christian church. You ever gone through life and a lyric just hits you? For whatever reason, I have George Harrison's I've Got My Mind Set On You in my mind right now. (laughs) Got my mind set on you. I'm sorry to do that to you. (laughs) Paul's song was scripture. Not a former Beatle. Let's look at this text. Verse 13. So since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. As Paul is writing, he's coming right out of a context where he's talking about the incredible suffering that has been allowed in his life. He made the case with the, in his writing that While we suffer, God places a a limit on our suffering. That even if our suffering were to lead us to death in Christ, we have eternal life in him. God places limit on our suffering. But Paul also has shared with the Corinthians that he faced the kind of persecution that he thought he wasn't going to survive. And it's exactly the kind of thought that's found in Psalm 116 where the psalmist writes, he despaired He was lost in the anguish of his soul because he thought he was going to die. He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord was gracious in that occasion and spared his life. And he experienced the gracious rescue of God firsthand. And so he says, I believe, so I speak. And here's what Paul says. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, Paul's saying, We believe this, and we've got something to say. His belief compels him to speak. Just a side insight here. It's important to know the Word of God. As Paul's writing this, he's reminded of a phrase out of a psalm. He doesn't give us all of Psalm 116. He reminds us of a phrase because he had studied the Word, He had had put God's Word in his heart, and it was able to come up and out of him through the inspiration of the Spirit. Why? Because he had devoted himself to knowing the Word of God. The same thing is true for us if we were to just simply read and engage the Scriptures. If you and I were a sponge that we regularly just dripped water into, on a regular occasion, when when squeezed, something can come out of us. And that's what happened for the Apostle Paul. He engaged the scriptures. He was devoted to encountering God, and he's saying that what was true of the psalmist is true of him, and it's true of us today. We have confidence. And what God has completed in us, that even though afflictions are allowed, He limits the scope of those afflictions and He has produced in us life. When it says, since we have the same spirit of faith, I believe there are two intended meanings there. Number one, we have the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that rested upon those who wrote Scripture who rested on Paul, now rests on us. And it's also this sense of assurance. We have a confidence in the object of our faith that what we believe is is real and true. So he says, we believe and so we speak. Now Paul is going to share the basis of his belief. Verse 14 says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. I'd like for you to underline or circle two words in here. The first one is raised, and the next is will raise. One is in the past tense, one is in the future tense. One's applying only to Jesus, the other will apply to us. It says, Paul is saying, the substance of his belief is knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus... Will raise us also. What this text gives us is a certain fact and a certain future. A certain fact. Jesus Christ lived on this earth, He really lived. He really died for us. He died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. And for three days, He was dead. But then, because He was sinless, because he was the only one who could pay the penalty for our sin and our rebellion against God. The Spirit of God, by the power of God, rose the Son of God to life. This is Easter, y'all. It is a certain fact Jesus Christ is alive. He is risen. He is risen. Knowing that the Spirit of God who raised the Lord Jesus. Will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Paul is saying this is the substance of our belief. This is why we have to speak, it's why we got to say something. Our suffering is not the end of the story, there's an object greater in the next field that needs our attention. This truth, this fact that Jesus rose from the dead is central. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We have the fact of the resurrection, and we have the certainty of future hope for all who are in Christ. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to doubt. We can know with great assurance that Jesus will rescue us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will receive eternal life. If the Spirit raised Jesus, and he did, he will also raise you. Paul makes it so clear why everything hangs in the balance for the Christian faith whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 17 through 19, it says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Christianity is distinct from any other religion, because the exclusive claim that our God came in the form of a person, gave his life for us, rose from the dead, and now offers life, not that has to be earned or deserved, but received freely. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact It must be received by faith. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 12 says this, and this is the testimony. This idea of testimony is this is the believable witness which stands in court. God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Do you have Jesus today? Do you believe he lives? Do you believe he came, he died, was buried, and he rose from the grave? If you do, you have life in his name. You have it You can have assurance today. And if you hear nothing else, I want you to know that God loves you. He has you in mind. And if you feel adrift in your soul, if you feel broken and hopeless, he has provided his son Jesus to be the source of life and hope and peace and forgiveness and eternal life. You only need to receive him as your savior and believe in his name. there is a certain fact and a certain future for those who are in Christ, and that is this everyday promise, we will be raised. We will be raised. When was the last time you thought about your own resurrection? Is it going to be glorious? Is it going to be loud? Is there going to be a roar of the angels celebrating the greatness of Jesus Christ when you come into his presence fully clean, fully whole? When was the last time you thought about your resurrection? And you take your eyes off of the here and now and you fix your attention on the greatness of Christ and what is complete and what is certain for us, it changes our perspective. It does something within us. We will be raised. The passage continues. Paul says, for it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul uses this word all, and what's found in that word are a number of the, of the writings that we, which he's been talking about. He's, it includes all of the suffering, all of the affliction all of the resurrection hope that you have in Jesus, all of the new covenant ministry that has now been entrusted to you, all of it, the whole enchilada, all of this is for your sake. Paul is saying everything that we've endured, the message we carry, the persecutions we suffered, everything is for you. So that, As grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. The glory of God has always been God's endgame from the very beginning. It's why he made creation. He is the only one who is worthy to be told how great he is. So he created us to know him, and in our rebellion, we rejected him. And instead of just handing us over to ourselves, he made a way for us to be restored. And we can know him again through Jesus Christ. And as we, like Paul, speak out of belief and endure out of hope, others get to know who Jesus is as well. And they get to join in that moment of resurrection where they will hear also the roar of the angels and see face-to-face the one who's rescued them. So Paul sees the church in Corinth, but he sees the people that they're going to reach. Each individual for him is someone who has a life to live in Christ. And as they live that life, they influence the lives around them. That through their faithfulness and their endurance and their eyes being set on Christ, others are brought to Him also. We will be raised and God will be praised. The roar of the angels will not be for us. It'll be reserved for the one who is worthy of all glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen. These are everyday promises that if we remember them, we won't lose heart. We will be raised. God will be praised. Paul writes in verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Verse 16 parallels how he opened the chapter in uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Verse 16, he's saying again, we do not lose heart. He talks about the reality of the suffering that is very real and very tangible and is very much part of our world. Our outer self, this is our flesh, our bodies, is in decay. It's wasting away. In doing some research for the message, I came across a a scholarly article, and the, the writer was talking about the paradox of philosophers is that it seems that the question they have to wrestle with is the certainty of death. We live for today, but each day brings us closer to our demise. That's the question philosophers have to wrestle through. What is the purpose? What is the value? What does it all mean? All those kinds of things are caught up in the truth that we live each day And each day brings us closer to our end. Our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. In the phrase, our inner self, this is referring to the spiritual life that is ours in Christ if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you have the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And there's life in him. It says our inner self is being renewed. This means it's an action that's being done to you, meaning you are a passive participant. I don't renew myself. I don't have a cord like a tail that I plug in. (laughs) That's not how it works. There's a renewing power that is at work within us that has come from outside of us, that dwells now within us, and renews and refreshes and rebuilds us from the inside out. We do not lose heart, Paul says. Even though we suffer, even though we're in decay, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Verse 17. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He uses two concepts. He talks about volume and time about our afflictions, volume and time. He says there's a weight value to our afflictions, and then there's a duration. And when we have a limited scope, if we have our eyes on our field and not the greater object ahead, we're going to feel like that our circumstances are heavy and forever. And how long is it going to be before the Bears win a Super Bowl? No. Okay, okay, okay. Wrong crowd. Man, if we were in Chicago, that would have played. How long will it be for the Texans to win the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> One year. Spoken like, that's, that's another kind of faith. We'll... Uh, Uh, Hattenberger, we're going to leave that one for you to uh, exegete on the road. You see Paul's perspective about human suffering? He says it's light and momentary. This is what's able to come to the forefront when we have a fixed gaze on Christ and our future resurrection. It puts our circumstances into the kind of perspective that God would want for us. He says this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us. Now look at the volume and time for an eternal weight of glory. We've talked about the idea of glory before, and it's a volume term. It's a weight term, and we ask the question, what is the weight of God's glory in your life? The glory that is ahead is not temporal. It's not momentary. It is eternal. And it goes beyond a weight that can be compared. Verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, not here, but there. For the things that are seen are transient. Transient is a really difficult word for us to grasp. How many of you used or heard the word transient last week? The things that are seen are temporary. That's what transient means, temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. In this set of verses from verse 16 to verse 18, Paul says, we do not lose heart. He includes his audience that he's writing to in this. We do not lose heart. We have this daily renewal that is happening that is done to us or for us, and that is a passive result in our lives. You guys, are, are you with me on that? It's God who does the renewing work, but do you see what the active call is in the text for us as the church? It says, verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For things that are seen are transient, but things that are unseen are eternal. This idea of not losing heart is not automatic. We are tempted on the regular to lose heart. We are easily caught up to the the problems that go unsolved in our lives, whether in people that we love or in circumstances around us that are not right. And if that captures our attention, we will lose heart. but we are people of hope we're people of hope because we will be raised god will be praised and hope will renew our hearts this is a third everyday promise for those of you who are in Christ hope will renew our hearts we are raised he is praised and our hearts are renewed by him but that hope needs our attention Like a farmer on a tractor, you're not to look back. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 through 19 says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And that way is forward. Jesus said to one who he called to follow him, and he said, First, let me go say goodbye to my family. And Jesus' word to him says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus knew the the principle. We don't look back, we look ahead. As the people of God, there is a call. We do not lose heart. Because God has given us very precious promises. We will be raised with Christ. God will be praised through us and the lives that are changed through the the lives that are reached by us. And hope will renew us and it's available every day. In looking at how I felt that we needed to close, I came across some really nerdy research. It's called Gaze Following. You ever notice that? When someone looks up at something, what do you do? You ever met with someone and they check their watch? You know, they go. In seminary, they said, where you look, people will look. If you look here, people will tune out. If you look here, they'll stay with you. If you look over there, they might look over there. There's a gaze following that's just part of our human makeup. But this research this was done by Andrew Gallup, and, and he tag-teamed with uh, educators from Princeton. Um, they wanted to know the impact of people's gaze, so they set a desirable object in a public setting, and they, just wa- they set up a camera to watch people and how they looked at it, and how when someone looked at it, it caught the attention of other people. And here's what they found. They found that more people were influenced to look when they were behind the person who first saw it. So if they were side by side and someone saw something and they looked, the chances were greater that this person wouldn't necessarily see it because they were beside them. Maybe it wasn't in their periphery. Maybe, but if they were behind them and they see a head go, they went. So why should we set our eyes on Jesus? Jesus. He's gone before us. He has fixed his eyes on the greater field and the glory of his Father. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now has sat down at the right hand of God. We fix our eyes on him. We set our gaze and our attention not on the field in front of us, but what's ahead? We set our eyes on him. Greg Hatterberg lives a life set on Jesus, and he is seeking as faithful as he can to furrow a straight row. But the importance of that initial row is it sets the course for every row that will follow because it sets the guideline. Jesus set a perfect row. And the more we are fixed on him and not look back and not try to take control into our own hands, but to trust the guiding and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the more aligned we are to the line that is set for us. And those who follow us then have a better and good line to follow. That's why your life matters as a life of influence. I don't want to create a name for myself. I want to set a line that looks like Jesus so that lives around me can follow him. We are the people who do not lose heart. We will be raised. God will be praised and hope will renew us. Thanks for listening. To find out more, visit us online at tomballbible.church.